Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, here we are. We are in the last part of a series on relationships. On relationships. Part number four. I want to thank you, too, for last week. I got a lot of text messages of support. I told you last week was a hard message to bring. Uh, I thank you for how receptive you were uh, to that. And, you know, sometimes I'm glad as, as a speaker to, to come out of my comfort zone. But I also want to thank you. You've helped me grow as a speaker over the years. I started to do this a long time ago. But for you to have faith and to see God in me and then to, to get pushed out and for you to encourage me and to be in the balcony in cheering me on, I want to thank you for that because I'm not here today if it's not for your, um, the, you know, the texts and the emails and just all the support and love. So I want to thank you. Uh, so again, let's get back to the, the real stuff here that you're here for. You don't want to hear about that. Um, we are in the last part of a series, but before I get into that, just wanted to mention next week we have a new series. We're finally going to be hitting technology. Working with names for the series, and I said, you know what? I don't want to pick a name that has a negative connotation. So this is, tech-wise, kind of encompasses, it, we're going to have a theological framework around the technology that we have in our culture. How many of us know that I told you I read a book from somebody from Desiring God? You may have heard the name John Piper before, somebody that works on his team, and it really moved me some months ago. And I felt as if there is a lack in the church that we're not talking about issues of where people really are. And this is an issue. I'm not going to come in next week and talk about how bad the phone is. I mean, I thought this would be a good segue, the skit that you saw this morning. But we need to talk about how we as Christians relate to the technology and the culture in which we live in. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. And before we roll into this today, we, we need some prayer. How can we roll into the message and not, Lord, I ask you right now, Father, I ask as you've done in other parts of this series, Lord, that you'd meet us. Lord, use me in spite of myself, Lord. Lord, I ask that these words that come out of my mouth, Lord, I ask even as I'm speaking that I be obedient to the spirit that lives inside of me. Christ, we ask that you would be lifted up and glorified in this place. That's what we want. I ask for freedom in our relationships, Lord, where people have been shackled, where they have lived in bondage for decades. Father, I ask these sermons and the classes that we have going on in the church that they'd be a one-two punch and we'd go after the dysfunction in our relationships and we'd stop living the same patterns year after year. Spirit of the living God, change us. May we so get so uncomfortable, may we get so disgusted with the way that we continue to live our lives and our relationships. Lord, draw us out. Pull us out. I thank you that you're a faithful God, Lord, and you've met us so many times, and I ask you to do it again as we sang earlier. Do it again. Meet us once again here. Religion, you have to go. Depression, you have to go. Anxiety, you have to go. Any vows we've made in our relationships, they have to go. Spirit of the living God, move among your people right now. Now, amen. 
There's no sense getting up here and speaking. I could talk about anything. I could craft the greatest sermon. But if there is not the Spirit behind my words, they're in vain. They're in vain, right? Come on. So we had to, we had to get that going. And I, I really am excited. You know, it's been said, alcohol, it's synonymous. They said it. They said, we, it changes. We change when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of actually changing in our lives. The pain of remaining the same. And you know what we're talking about with relationships? That sometimes we have to experience real pain in order to change. Have you gotten to that point yet where you say, you know what? I've, I've felt enough pain and discomfort. I'm really ready to change because that's kind of what we're pushing to. We want to see change. How many of you use Facebook? Facebook, you go on there once in a while. Or social media, some social media platform. Really, that few of you use social media when the pastor asks you, all right, here's what I want you to do. Answer me a question. Ready? Let's just go for it. How many of you can be honest and say that you've unfriended someone on Facebook because their views differed with yours in terms of, I don't know, religion, philosophy, politics, food. Anybody you unfriended someone, I see two hands over here. I see a lot of hands going up. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, all right. How many of you, show of hands again, have you avoided someone because you just didn't want to talk to them? Show of hands. They're not in the room here today, right? But somebody outside of this church that you've avoided, you're all looking around, you're checking out each other, who has their hand up. We've all done that. And I think we live in such a charged age in terms of conversation that a lot of our conversations can devolve into arguments. Our politicians can't even talk with each other. Have you been following what has happened with the Supreme Court nomination? Do you think Republicans and Democrats got together this morning and said, would you like to share breakfast today? Let's go. I don't think that's happening. I can't even talk. Crazy. Wherever you stand on the issue, man, I'm going to get in trouble already. But I don't care. Whatever you think of Kavanaugh, whatever you think of his past, can I say this? I want somebody on the Supreme Court that will look at the Bible and stand up for biblical principles. If that's you, Kavanaugh, we want you. If that's someone else, we want you. I'm not, do you hear me? I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about anyone that's on that court. We want to uphold biblical values. Why is he getting political? I'm not getting political. I'm getting theological. It's important for us as Christians. And you know what? Even like what I talked about last week, I've been a wimp in so many ways. Been a wimpy preacher in some ways. I really have. And I feel as if Pastor Linda and I were, were having conversations and we feel as if, you know what? Maybe it really is a time and there are other people in the body of Christ talking about that we have to talk about these issues and talk to them instead of saying, you know what? They don't exist and putting our head in the sand and having like the ostrich mentality and pretending they don't exist. They do exist. And we have to address them. Stick to your point, man. What are you talking about? We're talking about conversations. Conversations. Difficult conversations this morning. How many of us know we can get into arguments and people get so passionate on social media about such trivial things? 
You file right such trivial things and you want to jump in sometimes. I don't. You know how many times I've written something and then I, I stop myself and I'm like, you can't write that. You kidding me? How many of you could have you've been there before? But just such trivial things and we get sucked in. That's the culture in which we live in. They did a study of 10,000. Pew Research did a study of 10,000 American adults. And you know what they said? Right now, in 2017, they said we are more polarized and divided as a people than we have ever been before in the history of our country. There is so much strife. There is so much division. I'm not just talking about racial division. I'm political. I mean, every which way we are in a country where there are such contentious relationships. And you look at that and that's a problem. And even, you know, you take about, look at the decisions that we make, whom we marry, where we live and the jobs that we take. A lot of times we've made our decisions already based on what we know in life, not what we're going to know. And that's why we don't compromise. It's hard for us. And we live in a culture, it's about the self, it's about you, whatever you want. What do you want to do? What do you think is important? And it's eroding our society. And you look at technology, how about this? Pew Research also said, one third of American teenagers send more than 100 texts a day. And most of them are more, because I'm, again, we're talking about this next week, and I'm throwing this in there on purpose, they're more likely to text than talk face-to-face. Surprised by that? And then I read an article, I had to put this up for you, Paul Barnwell is an educator, and this was in the Atlantic magazine. Remember, understand something, I love to pull in the social and cultural elements too, to add to a sermon, because it's important. I'm getting into the Bible in a second. Don't get religious. When is he going to get? I'm, trust me, I'm going to give you a lot of word today. I'll feed you. Just wait a second if that's you. And this is what this teacher said. Oh, I forgot. That was my unfriend picture there. All right. Uh, Paul Barnwell, teacher. This is in the Atlantic Magazine. He said, I came to realize that conversational competence might be the single most overlooked skill we fail to teach students. Wow. I would say not just students, but humans. I, don't, I just wanted to make this like a class today, but I don't know how to do that because I just want to preach. And the problem is, I talked to my wife. Did you know my wife teaches English at Mount Sinai High School? Megan Lecce teaches it. You know what she teaches? She teaches a speech class. A speech class. Public speaking. And I said, honey, that is so important. How come we don't have classes in school on how to have conversations and how to speak to each other like human beings and to get off our devices and to learn how to have difficult, crucial conversations? Well, if the schools aren't going to do it, the church is going to do it. I'm sorry. Where was I? Kids spend hours each day engaging with ideas and one another through screens, but rarely do they have an opportunity to truly hone their interpersonal communication skills. Megan, you can use this for school. It might sound like a funny question, but we need to ask ourselves, is there any 21st century skill more important than being able to sustain confident, coherent conversation? A teacher, this is a high school teacher. I don't even know who this guy is. I read the article and said, this is amazing and how true it is. And I can also speak to it because I've been in a high school classroom for over 20 years and I see kids and I see how awkward kids are getting with conversation. 
and I'm worried what's going to happen to kids and millennials and our kids, younger kids. What will happen in terms of conversation if people don't know how to have difficult conversations with each other? If, what, what's going to happen when people get married one day and they, 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 they have to move away from the screens and they really have to look at each other and talk about issues that are going on in their lives? What's going to happen then? Well, our kids will not be left out in the cold. We will address the issues with our kids. This is a skills-based series. Doctors Cloud and Townsend, they are giving us skills. Um, Remember, I'm all about theology and doctrine, but we went too far with dogma and doctrine and what do you believe and not far enough over here in where does this theology, where is it lived out in our lives? How can I deal with my past hurts? How can I deal with my insecurities? How can I deal with my anxiety? How can I deal with all my fears to make me an emotionally healthy person This is to be an emotionally healthy church. This is evangelism. Do you understand what we're doing? This is, God has me as her son on a crash course. This is all I'm doing now because I see the necessity of it. And I see that more people out there that are so hurting and are so dealing with issues and don't know how to have conversations and don't know how to deal with all this stuff that's going on inside of them. This may be a place that says, you know what? You have issues? Look what the Bible has to say to this. The Bible will speak to this. Right? Huge. That's my job, so it's incumbent upon me as one of the preachers here. You know, I read a book. Here's another book, too, and you know I love to read. Crucial Conversations. It was a New York Times bestseller. I don't even know if these guys are Christians. I was like trying to research them. But a New York Times bestseller, over a million copies were sold. And they had some research when it comes to conversations or difficult conversations. And they said their study, employees waste an average of $1,500 and an eight-hour workday for every difficult conversation they avoid at work. That's a lot, right? They said uh, the prevalence of conflict avoidance, 95% of a company's workforce struggle to speak up to their colleagues about their concerns. So what do they do? Complain. They ruminate. They sit there and they just, they perseverate over this and they think about it over and over again. And then they complain about other people and there's a huge loss of revenue in the business world. Interesting, right? Conflict avoidance. You have never taken a class in your life about how to deal with conflict, about how to deal with difficult conversations. That's what we're doing. And listen, this is just the tip of the iceberg because the seasoned, wise sage is going to do this in a class after me. So if you like any of this, you want to come to her class, okay? I'm Luke Skywalker. She's Yoda. So she can teach you more than I can teach you. So you want to come out for that. Don't, why are we so like, can we just loosen up a little bit this morning? Y'all seem all uptight. Why are you uptight? Did you come in here with problems today? Do you have any issues? Can you just leave them next to, like put them next to you on the floor or put them like, I don't know, the person next to you. I don't know, put it near them. I don't know, but just leave your issues alone for a few minutes. You said it, Mike. And so 
what do you think of when you hear that word confrontation? What do you think of? Do you get like, oh, is that like, a, come on, is that a pit? How many of you would admit it is a pit in my stomach when you mention the word confrontation? Does anybody, wait, wait, does anybody like it? You're a confrontophile. You like it. You really enjoy it. Does anybody, you really enjoy it? That was funny, by the way. That was good preaching humor. You didn't think that was funny, but I thought it was funny. How many of you like it? Does anybody like it? Nobody? Nobody likes to confront. It was a hand. Where? 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 Mike. Okay. Michael, I love you. Had you as a student. Most normal humans don't like to confront. It's hard. Isn't it? Come on. You get that pit in your stomach when you have to confront someone like, oh man, I have to say something. I am not talking about the pleasure of confrontation. We're talking in this sermon about the value of confrontation of why it needs to be valued in our lives. And I think for us as men, what are the four worst words we can get from our wives? What is it? Come on, tell them, see if, see if you know it. We. Y'all, you knew it. Some of you are married. You've been in relationships, I guess. Wow. We need to talk. Men that have been in the military and would give up their lives on a battlefield. Give me a gun and they'll give up their lives. But when their significant other says we need to talk, they shrink back in fear. (laughs) What is she going to say to me? (laughs) Has your significant other or your wife, have they ever said to you, because I don't know, you know what, you've done this before, but I don't think it's normal when your wife comes up to you and says, you know what, honey, we, we need to talk because you're not taking enough time for yourself. I want you to go on a vacation. I want you to go spend a weekend with the guys. Maybe go to a football game. Maybe go golf. Go golf. Go golf for a full weekend. You need time to yourself. You're just giving so much time to this relationship that I'd love for you to go spend. No, no, no. When we need to talk, it's an issue about something in our relationship is it not and we don't like it it makes us uncomfortable and they say this is good they say in a relationship if you're in one even if you're single you're going to get a lot out of this because this is not just about marriage it's just about relationships and having those difficult conversations in all of our relationships they say in a marriage though they say usually there is this you either have a skunk you're a skunk in the marriage or you're a turtle And the skunk is, you just stink the place up when there's a problem. If there's a problem, you vomit on the other person and you attack the other person. You verbally assassinate the other person and everything, all hell breaks loose. Now, conversely, if you're a turtle, you just hide in your little shell. You go back inside your little shell and hide because you don't want to deal with confrontation. How many of us know, you know, you're sitting next to them, you know who you are in the relationship. I said to Megan the other night, I said, baby, you're the turtle, and I'm absolutely the skunk. When we first got married, we could fight with, we still can. If we have to, we can fight with the best of them. And Henry Cloud says, by the way, the best marriages are those where there actually is some conflict. If you have no conflict in your marriage and you've been going for 10, 20, I got to preach it, 10, 20, 30 years, there's a problem in your marriage. There should be conflict. Conflict is good. We don't see it that way. But oh, I was getting to the story. When I first got married, I would, I would fight. Listen, 
I, I'm Italian. We fight recreationally. I was raised in a family. When y'all have a problem, you fight it out. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't go to bed. My wife, there was a problem. She'd run. She was the turtle. She'd run up to the bedroom. She'd run away. And there was I, the skunk, chased right after that woman. Went right after her. Honey, no, no, we got to finish this talk. We got to talk. We got to talk. It took me years, years to realize, give her space. Give her space. You're different people. How many of us know we said this marriage is hard work. It's wonderful, but it's work. And so many of us, it's a great relationship, but so many of us, guess what? Guess what? We don't even do it. We don't do anything. We're like the people that watch Aaron Judge. By the way, Aaron Judge hit a bomb last night. We had to throw that in the skit. Hit a bomb. Yanks won. Yanks are going to win that series. Yup, yup, yup. But, but we act like, don't boom that fans. That's okay. You get the Cy Young with DeGrom. That's good. That's good. You should be proud of yourselves. Anyway, so you think about it though. In relationships, right, we had that. She was more of the turtle and I was more of the skunk and we fight about stuff, but it's not going to happen by osmosis. Our relationships are not going to change just by saying, I hope something changes at some point. And I'm, I'm sorry, but many of us have lived with our marriages and our relationships that way. And we don't really make any changes. We're like the people, I wish I was a great athlete like that. I wish I was a great musician like that. Like they just woke up one day. Yeah, there's God-given talent, but people work at stuff. This is where we have to work in order to get. You want a great marriage? You've got to work. Henry Cloud said, Pastor Linda told me this story. I didn't hear this. I'm getting this secondhand. She said, Henry Cloud talked about a couple that came in and he asked them a question, ready? He said, From, on a scale of zero to 10, um, what do you want your marriage to be? What number? Zero to 10. What do you want it to be? I hope I'm getting this right. And they said, a 10. Well, they said, you're only a three. And he kind of hit them. And like, what are you going to do? You want it to be a 10, which is good. But if you're a three in your relationship, how do you move from a three to a 10? It's things that we have to do. I know we don't want to hear this, but it's important. And I was thinking about, how about Amazon? You know what one of the mantras of Amazon is? I read this in another book. No problems, no profit. No problems, no profit. You know what amazing? I know Amazon, Google, they're like taking over the world and stuff. That guy Bezos, he's a really smart dude. I don't know anything about this guy. But you know in their meetings with management, that when they, they want an article to be read by their, by their executives that they bring them into like a boardroom and they have to read the article right there because they know if they send the article out and people like, you, you can read it on your own, half of the people skim through it and they don't really read it. So he gives them like 45 minutes to an hour, you read that right in front of us and then you talk about it. Nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought it was pretty good, right? Really good, but no problems, no profit. If there are no problems in our marriage, that's a problem. And I was thinking about it. This is the other thing I was thinking about all week. You know, you get your statements of retirement, right? You get a 401k. Or we talk about our bank account and our savings account. And, you know, whether you invest or whether you don't, you're thinking about retirement, but you have something. Whatever your portfolio is, whatever that looks like, we look at this and we take account of what's in there, how much money we have. 
What do we have here? What's in my budget? And I want to ask us this morning, have we ever sat down and done a confrontation, like an audit, an audit of where we are in terms of confronting other people and looking at our marriages from the point of reality? Where are we at? We do it for everything else, but how come we don't do it for things like this? In our real relationships that are meaningful and they're really important, are we really investing in them? Can I give you the meaning of confront, first of all, too, before we get into the word? The meaning of confront, I love this. In Latin, you know what it means? It means to two parties are face-to-face for discovery and examination of the truth. Baby, just stand up. I love you. Right? But it's two parties that are face-to-face for self-discovery and growth, that we face each other and we face reality in a situation. We, it has gotten a... It, it, thank you, baby. It, confrontation has gotten a... It, it has like a bad connotation. It is a positive thing because it's for the good of the other person. It's for our good. It's for the good of the relationship. It's not to beat somebody else up. It's not to demean them. It's not to condescend. When we confront, we look at them. I know we live in New York, right? And confront means you get in someone's face, right? You get right up in someone's grill in New York. The other day, remember, we were going to open school night for Nolan. And there was like an accident in front of us. We didn't know what was going on. We were on like a back road. And some dude was behind me and he couldn't see in front of me. And he got out of his car and the guy was like walking all tough. And he's like kind of started ready. He's like ready to yell at me. And I'm like, dude, there's an accident right here. But he was ready to get up in my grill without knowing anything because that's what we do in New York. We confront. But confrontation is we sit down face to face and we look at each other and we look at reality and it's not I'm for or against. It's, you know, well, for, I should say, we're for the relationship. We're for somebody growing, both of us growing for something to change in the relationship. That's what we're talking about when we say confront. I love it. John Townsend, he says this in, in uh, the book, Difficult Conversations, which you're going to get into in a class. He says the extent to which two people in a relationship can bring up and resolve issues is a critical marker of the soundness of the relationship. Do you hear that? That's good. Relationships are designed by God to be whole, and the more parts of you, such as strengths, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, passions, desires, and failures that are connected to the parts of the other person, the greater the closeness, depth, and meaning of the relationship. The more that we take of ourselves and we open ourselves up and we don't hide like the first man and woman did in the beginning of the story when you look at Adam and Eve and God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day and then they sin, right? Adam and Eve, they sin. And then God comes in, Adam, where are you? And where is Adam? Adam is hiding. God's, why are you hiding, Adam? Well, I saw that I was naked and I was afraid. What do you mean you were afraid? And we're so afraid to show our whole self to somebody and our parts. And we're afraid to really connect. Do you know what confrontation is about? What you saw in the skit this morning, it's about distance. And if there is distance in the relationship, God says, I want intimacy. Intimacy. I want you to see into me and I want to see into you. It's about intimacy. But we can't have intimacy if there is separation and we're not emotionally present and we're not really listening to the other person. You saw Joe. I was Joe so many times. 
Why are you all looking at me, you men, like you've never been Joe in the skit? Don't make me stop right now. Right? It happens to every, all of us. We've all been that way before. I love what it says in Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Look, at this is so good. That's, uh, I'm sorry, that's 5 and 6. I just put 6. It says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does it mean? I love verse 6. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Wounds from a friend. What does that mean? What does that mean to get wounds? I'll tell you what it means. It means that someone has something that's very difficult to say. There may be hard words that they have to say, but they want to say them because they love us so much. They care about us so much. They say, I have to say these words. Now, you have to see this in Hebrew poetry. I don't want to geek out too much, but it's kind of important when you think about it because these are two metaphors here in five and six. And you look at the first one, it says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Do you know what the writer of Proverbs is really saying? He's connecting the first part to the second part. The love that is carefully concealed because we don't want to, I don't want to hurt the other person. That's what we say. I don't want to hurt their feelings. The writer is saying, when you have that mindset and you say out of love, I, I can't, I have to hide. I don't want to tell them the truth. I don't want to conceal it. It's the same thing as verse six, as an enemy multiplying kisses. It's the same thing as Judas in the garden giving Jesus the kiss. You know what it really means? Can I be brutally honest? We care more about ourselves and having to go through the situation than we do having to speak truth to the other person in the situation. That's good preaching right there because that's what we do. We're afraid because it's going to hurt our feelings or it's going to something that we have to go through. But the Bible says right here that if we are really friends, we don't have a friendship. If we're not wounding each other in marriage where we're really confronting each other and face to face, that's not a marriage. Henry Cloud says maybe that's a partnership, but don't call that a marriage. And we're silent in so many issues. And you know what? If we don't deal with our issues, our issues are going to deal with us and we're just going to leak out resentment and bitterness. You go, you know what? I'm just not going to deal with any of this. And we just kind of have a, we have a pact and it's, maybe it's unsaid, but our relationship, we just kind of go on with the way things are and no one really rocks the boat ever in the relationship. I would say there is more harm that is happening. It's more deleterious because things are leaking out of us. Either you do it the right way and deal with it, like we're going to talk about and continue to talk about, or we do it the wrong way and it causes, creates more division in the relationship. You know what the enemy wants to do? We live in the age of perpetual offense. He wants us, I did a sermon last year and I had a fence up here on the stage and what he wants us to do in our marriages is he wants us to build a fence between us and the other person and he wants us to carry offenses one offense at a time. You know how divorce happens? One offense at a time that is undealt with. Resentment that is undealt with. I love the word. love the word. Because the word has so much to teach us about how to live our lives. This is true north. This is our compass. If we would follow this, look what the psalmist says in 141.5. Look what he says. He says, let the righteous strike me. Really? It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. 
that is my prayer, that is my cry as one of your pastors, that we would look at this and realize that it's oil from heaven, that God says, you know what, I want you to play a role in this, in your relationship garden, that you would have a part to play. We can't change somebody else, codependency, but we can be agents of change, and God says, I want to use you in that relationship to help that person grow. I married that woman sitting on the front row. You know what I looked at? I looked at somebody with a future together. I said, I know that we can grow together. You're single in here right now? You better find someone that you can grow with together and you're going in the same direction and you're both willing to become whole people before you actually step into marriage because I've been saying it the entire series, if I take two half people and bring them together, that's going to make hell. We are not becoming whole in the marriage we are to become whole before we actually unite in that marriage. Right? Yeah, come on. Culture doesn't talk about that. They don't really address that. And the biggest thing is, you know, you hear people a lot of times, single people, and they say, the worst thing in my life is that, is that I wouldn't find someone to get married to and share my life with. I would say, no, 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 no. You know what's even worse than that? Is getting married and being emotionally distant from someone for the remainder of our lives to be married to someone and there's no intimacy. I was starving. I was hoping that this person could satisfy a longing inside of me, which was good because God said it's not good for man to be alone. And God said, I want relationships. It's good to want that. But when we get in relationships and there's no real intimacy, and I'm sorry because so many of us are settling for less than God has for us myself included. I put myself at the top of the list. And that's why God says, I'm putting you on a crash course in your marriage with your wife. And in terms of the church, I told you the church here will only be as healthy as we are. That's it. It's the only way. And I don't have all the answers. Please don't hear me. I certainly don't have a lot of answers. I'm trying and finding my way just like you are. But I know there are people that have real truths that that can help us along the way. And and we want to we confront in love. We want to confront in love. What does Ephesians 4 say? We are to speak the truth in what? In love. In love. Because love is exactly what we're living, looking for. We are looking to preserve love in the relationship. We're not looking to beat someone else up. We are looking at the distance between myself and the other person. We're saying, how can I preserve love in this relationship? How can we come closer together than we were before? How do we maintain a real relationship? Aren't you sick of relationships where there's no real reality and we hide from each other and we don't wound each other? How many of us are really like, like, like it says here, how many of us are like this in Proverbs 27, 6? How many of us really? I'm talking, I'm not talking you go around to anybody and you start telling them all the things they have wrong with them and all their faults. I'm talking about the most important people in our lives. And how come it's so easy when some guy on the like something happens when you're driving, how come it's so easy to confront someone? But when it's someone that's so close to you, isn't it tough? The people that we love the most, aren't they the toughest to actually talk to? I see a lot of spouses in here, you're getting a little uncomfortable. It's getting hot in here, right? But hey, that's, that's the truth of it. But it's about a part two of the relationship that we want to address. It's all about love. And we're not saying address a thousand things. 
When we are face-to-face and we're communicating and we're bringing up an issue, we don't unload on the other person. I'm going out of order because I'm going to get into skills after this, but I just feel to just keep going. We don't just unload and tell them all the things and all the problems that we have in the relationship. And we talk about what they did 20 years ago and go, what? What are you t- 20 years ago? You remember what you did with the kids? And I, listen, I've done this before. Remember what you did? And you said this? And you're like, what? I don't rem- Girl, how do you remember that? Where the heck is that from? But we all do that. That's not what we're talking about, you know? And look, this is what Scott Peck says in The Road Less Traveled. He's another, he's another uh, psychologist. He says this. He says, the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another spiritual growth. You know what that is? That's how he defines love. That's how he defines love. For the nurturing of one's own or another spiritual growth confrontation is we care so much about our spiritual growth and their spiritual growth that we're willing to say, you know what? I'm going to rock the boat in this relationship and it's going to be really hard for me to bring this up, but I'm going to try to bring it up by, by, and, and asking on God to help me in the way that I say it, the manner in which I say it, that it would come from love, that I would have the right spirit in which I talk to the other person. That's what love is. That we bring it out that way. And confrontation is, it's, it's for relationship. And you know what God has done? Isn't it amazing that God has basically said, I have chosen this way that you would be in relationship with other people and that you would help each other prune and you would pull up the weeds in the gardens of our relationships. Do you get that? That we're constantly to be pruning. We're constantly to be weeding and being meticulous and, and moving around. Do you ever go to Disney World? Did you ever go to Disney World? Giant human trap, I always tell you, run by a mouse. Have you ever been there before? Because there is no other place on the planet where they are more meticulous. And I thought about that during the week and I said, they are constantly, there's a blade of grass in Magic Kingdom that needs to be fixed. Why are you all like, that's funny. Why? Really? You ever go there and you see how crazy they are? Everything has to be perfect. Do you know we're supposed to be that way in our relationships? But unfortunately, so many of our relationships, there's so many weeds and, and, and things are so overgrown because we're not really addressing. We're not addressing the issues that are at play in our relationships. And we're saying as a church, it is a new day. It is time for us to deal with some of these issues before the issues deal with us. To stop saying, you know what, blaming it. We're not blaming our spouses anymore. We're not blaming our friends. How about we look in the mirror? How about we put down the magnifying glass and stop looking at the speck in someone else's eye? And how about we pick up the mirror and look at the big old log in our eye? How about we do that? That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7. We said that in this series. Why don't we do that? Or how about this? Look what he says in Matthew 18. This is good too. In Matthew 18, he says in 15 to 17, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Again, something we don't. I mean, I'm talking about people that we're close with. Do we do this? No, unfortunately, we don't. We just kind of let things go because we're worried about us. We're worried about what it'll do to us to actually confront somebody and bring truth out. But it's counterintuitive. We will get closer to the other person if we actually rock the boat in the relationship and we're honest and we talk about reality. It'll get us closer. And then he says here, if he hears you, you have gained your brother 
But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Don't you love Jesus too? You know why I love Jesus? I love Jesus for his disruptive honesty. Jesus knew how to confront. Jesus was at a well one day and there was a Samaritan woman that was there. And you weren't as a Jew. You didn't talk to Samaritans. But there is Jesus and he said, I am going to confront the cultural and social issues of my day. I'm an egalitarian. I believe in equal rights. And I look at this woman who is in need of love, who is in need of my power and my spirit. And you know what? I'm going to talk to her. He approached Pharisees and Sadducees. He looked at the religious system and said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it upside down. I'm going to turn it on its head because it's keeping people in bondage. Jesus knew how to confront in love. He knew how to confront in love, friends. He confronted the rich young ruler. You want me to just keep going on? He confronted how many people he confronted. Just read the Gospels. Jesus wasn't passive. Well, I guess if you don't want to, go ever, whatever. <laughs> kind of how we painted him. Happy Jesus. We said in the series this year, cotton candy Jesus. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus knew how to confront, but he did it in love. I'm going to go into someone's house and I'm not going to wash my hands. I know what they're going to think because I know what the teachers are all going to think. And that's what you did. I'm not going to wash my hands and my feet. They're going to be dirty. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to confront the system that has kept people in bondage. And that's what Jesus did. So, so look what we're supposed to do. Do we follow, Is this in the Bible or no? Should we just cut this out like Thomas Jefferson? He cut out all the miracles that were ascribed to Jesus. Should we just cut this out? Maybe we should just cut parts of the Bible out that we don't like that make us uncomfortable. Because maybe we'll feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Y'all are tough today. Real tough. And it says in 16, right? If, if, if we don't, if you go, one person, you go to somebody and they're not receptive to that, look what we're supposed to do. Take two or more. That we're actually, you know, we're, we're the immune system for somebody else. We're supposed to stop the cancer from spreading. We're to be a fence as a community. And three of us together are supposed to lock arms around you in love and confront about an issue. If you're not going to hear your brother or if you're not going to hear your sister. And how about if you don't want to hear us, we're going to collectively as a church stand around you and talk about those issues. Not because we want to deride you and not because we want to disparage you, but because we love you. And that's what the Bible says, but we don't do it. But we don't do it. We are to confront in love, face each other, face each other. And we always say time heals all wounds. Pastor Linda, does time heal all wounds? Don't you hear that all the time? I am so sick and tired of the world trying to tell us that time heals all wounds. If you got a shotgun wound, sorry to be so graphic, but if you got shot by somebody, you said, oh, like Monty Python, it's only a flesh wound. I'll be okay. I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm good. Really? You're going to die. Hey, pal, you, if you do not get medical help, you are going to die. Time does not heal all wounds. Time does not make our marriages and our relationships better. I just, with four, hey, 40 years, whoa, 50 years. That doesn't mean you have a great marriage. Just because I'm at 14 and you're at 50 doesn't mean you have a better marriage than I do if you're not working on it. But we're good. We're good. We don't have any real problems and the kids are all good. 
we kind of like each other. There's more. There's more. You're in denial. You're deluded. Because God has more for all of us. Not just all of us. God says, I want to take your marriage and your relationship to another level. Even as friends. Even as friends. Can we really, come on church, can we really be a people that wound each other as friends? Can I give us some homework even though I'm not at the end of the sermon? Can you actually this week write down a situation that you've been holding back on, that you've been avoiding confronting somebody in love? Can you maybe, Dr. Townsend said this, why don't we write down somebody, a situation, and then why don't we actually write about it, maybe talk to somebody else before you go to that person. You could even role play. They say that's so important to role play. You saw the acting up here. That's why we did that this morning. But then actually go to that person, pray about it and go to them. Why live the rest of our days like this and hold on to the resentment and hold on to the offenses? And I'm not saying, listen, if you get offensive when you come at somebody and you talk down, what's going to happen? You get offensive, they're going to get defensive. Did you see that in the skit this morning? The skit you did. Yeah. People get defensive. And we're saying that's not what we're looking to do, but we will absolutely leak out if we don't do that. And you know what? We're asking... Maybe this will make sense. I remember nine years ago when uh, Megan was giving birth to our oldest son. And I, I've, I've told some of this story before. And, and I contracted. I was really sick. I was a lot worse off than she was giving birth to the baby. Because I, I, I got bit by a tick and I had Lyme disease. I thought I was going to die. At 100 and, I had 112 fever. And um, it was really bad. I remember crawling out of the hospital on my hands and knees. I'm just making it sound real good for y'all, Right? <laughs> But I remember at one point, I remember at one point where the nurse, one of these nurses came in and she said, oh, I have so-and-so and she's like kind of new and she's going to help me. Really? She's new? She's good. All right, so I'm the guinea pig. What do you need? What do you need? Because they had to put an IV in me for like antibiotics. And I'll never forget, she let the other girl do it who is not the expert. Can you be the one? In my head I'm going, can you be the one to do this? And there she is with the needle and she's getting it wrong. And she's playing around with the needle. Michelle, you're a nurse. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, listen, how hard is it to find my vein? If I show you my veins, it's not that hard to find. She couldn't find the vein. And she's fishing around on the inside. And she's moving around. How you doing? Good. Great. Feel awesome. This is awesome. But you're a guy. You can't show any pain. No, I'm good. I'm good. Right? But I thought about it. You know what I thought about too? I said, it's so funny. Do you ever go, you go to a doctor and you let somebody, like they take your blood or they hit you with it. They wound us sometimes. And we allow them to wound us because we know that what they're doing is ultimately going to help us. Can we look at relationships in the same manner that when someone is coming in on the scene and they're wounding us like a friend that we can actually sit there and say to ourselves, they're doing this for our good. They don't want to harm us. They want to help us. It's the enemy. He wants us to believe that all this stuff when people come in to say, no, stay separate. Don't confront. You have no idea what's going to happen if you do. All right, before you leave, you got, what time is it? You got a few more minutes? You got a, what time is it? I know I'm speaking kind of long. Give me 10 minutes, maybe five, probably 10. It's 11.28, right? I'll get you out of here like 11.40 p.m., uh, a.m., whatever. All right, so here we go. Can we just talk about quickly conflict management? I promise I'll go through these fast. I told you, I bit off a lot today because I'm trying to get a lot in before our technology series. 
how about things that we do that are really wrong and then ways that we can move out of here, skills that we can really learn? You want to hear this? All right? All right. So here you go. I'll share this PowerPoint too. Joanne has my other two. Some people have asked for the first two in the series. No one asked for last week. All right. The first one, first one is uh, avoidance. We just, you know what we do sometimes? We just kind of, anybody you've ever done, we just kind of kick it down the road. You play kick the can as a kid, right? Kick the, we just kick the can down the road. And we just want to avoid the situation. Well, if I just kick it down the road, maybe I won't have to deal with it. Maybe it'll just go away. It's not going to go away. That's what I said before. If we think we're getting away with it, we're going to leak out and we're going to have other problems if we're not addressing these issues. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, I have some problems right now. Well, listen, God's a restorer. God can restore your marriage. God can restore your relationship. It's not over. It's not over. And these are things that if we start to apply in our lives and our relationships, how much healthier we can be as a people as we move forward. So one, avoidance. And you know what happens, people too. You look at scientifically, biologically, the amygdala of our brain. It's, you know, fight or flight. Flight, flight, flight. Anytime conflict comes up, anytime we have to address something, we run, we run, and we run, and it doesn't solve any problems. Again, I'm I'm going fast. I I wanted to spend a little more time, but I'm going fast. How about number two? Dr. Townsend talks about this. He calls it the zap and ignore. Zap and ignore is we sit there and we want to say something and somebody in a relationship and something keeps happening, but you know what we say to ourselves? We go, well, I'm bad too, and I do things too. Somebody says something, and you're like, man, I have a problem with it. I want to talk about this. But you go, you know what? I kind of do the same thing. And we say that once, then we say it twice, then we say it three times. And then we say, you know, I'm a sinner. They're sinner, a sinner just like me. So how can I really confront them? And then we sit there, and we make excuses. How many people you've done this? We make excuses. And then what happens is, inside of us, it's like a volcano. And then what comes out is we zap the other person and then we hit them with our photographic memory of everything that they've ever done in the relationship. Do you remember when you did this? And do you remember when you did this? And the other person's getting hit, 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 and we're backing them up against the wall. And it's a temporary solution to the problem. It doesn't really fix anything. What we're supposed to do is take issues as they arise and address them instead of suppressing our emotions and just vomiting on the other person. I've done it before. I've done it. I know what it feels like. And then how about, I just called it doormat withdrawal. We can be a doormat. These are the, uh, when we say, you know what? I can't say no. I don't know how to say no to this person. I don't know how to tell them that they're not meeting my needs or I, I don't like this when they do this and we don't say anything and then what happens? We become the turtle and we withdraw from the relationship and we go inside and then we're hoping. You know what we hope for? We start to pout and we get silent and what are we hoping? I hope the other person sees that I'm really upset. I hope they see how upset I am and I hope they try to talk to me about it and that doesn't happen unexpressed expectations. Things that are unexpressed create problems in the relationship and we don't express them and that's what happens. We withdraw and it creates distance in our relationship. Has to be addressed. All right. And then number four, this is a big one. They they talk about this a lot in the book. Fear of losing the relationship. And I think to a large extent this causes, I, I guess, abandonment. It causes disconnection. And God has put a, you know, we're we're hardwired to need relationships with people, but I'm sorry, just because 
We got hurt. We're worried that, you know what? I got hurt once before. That I actually confronted someone in love and what happened in the relationship? They left. It did not go well. And what we do is we project what has happened in the past into our current situations. So I got hurt by this situation in the past when I tried to confront someone. And if I do it again, what's going to happen is the same exact thing. So I'm going to withdraw. I'm afraid because deep down, this person that I'm with, I think they mean everything to me and they can satisfy all my needs and I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to lose this relationship. And we don't realize that if we actually confronted the issue in the relationship, it would make it so much healthier. Short list. All right, so what? as you walk out, music team, you can start to come up. I told you this is more like a class today. I told you. But you know what? Again, these are things that we, should, we have to apply to our lives. How about cornerstones of confrontation? Just what, how I want to determine. How about number one? These are positive ways. You saw in the skit too. What if we actually clarified not picking a multitude of issues What if we take one issue in the relationship, one thing that we want to focus on and be specific about the problem? You know what a problem is too with us? We're so indirect. How many of you know there's an issue you have with your, I don't know, husband or wife about being late and we kind of beat around the bush. We don't really talk to the situation or maybe your your, your spouse or whomever, I don't know, maybe somebody, they don't clean up after themselves. And instead of saying, you know what, when you don't clean up after yourself or you don't do this, it really, it puts more pressure on me or whatever. Instead, we'll go, hey, did you know I was reading this book about, you know, house cleaning and how to do this and how to do that. And we kind of throw that at them instead of really coming out front with what really is the issue and talking to it. We're indirect. Don't be indirect. Be direct. Okay, number two, be clear, they say in their book about you and I. You know what I've done so many times? I said to Megan, I'm like, man, I, I have, been, oh man, I've abused this. Where so many times, instead of saying, you need to, you need to change, you need to do this, instead, how we, we're supposed to talk is, when you do this, I feel this way, or I feel my feelings and my emotions, Do we understand that? Stop talking about them and talk about how their action makes us feel. What does it do? Not how it makes us think. What are the emotions that we experience as we see that person do that? So important. When you do that, stop with you. I feel this way. I feel as if our relationship, as Megan did at the end of the conversation, I feel as if things could really be closer if we did this. And I feel closer to you when we put our phones down. And I feel this, I, I, instead of you. Because it's condescending. And the other person, it's controlling. The other person can feel as if they're being controlled by us. This person just wants to control me. Okay, number three. Use the formula when you do, and this is tethered to that. Use the formula when you do A, I feel B. Right? So good too. When you do this, when you pull out your phone, it makes me feel disconnected from you. When you do this, this is how I feel. Do we realize if we applied some of this stuff, how about we just try this? How about this week in our relationships, you find an instance to take some of these, take one of these, take one cornerstone and apply it to our relationships. It doesn't have to be your marriage. It could be with one of your friends. It could be with a colleague. It could be with an issue with a co whatever. How about we just take one of these and apply it to our lives? 
All right, next one. Apologize for our part in the problem. Did you see? I saw Megan do that in the skit. Instead of all the issues that we, how about saying, this is what I've done in the relationship. So many times we're so focused on things they did. What about the part that we played in the situation? What have we done to cause this? Because when the other person sees our humility and they see that we're open to what we did wrong, they will be more open to hearing what we have to say. Instead of talking down to them, open up and say, you know what, you're right about that, but I do the same thing at times I've been on my phone, and I just want a relationship to go to the next level. I'm sorry, and Naeem said it. You know, yeah, last week, the other day, we had this argument, and I was wrong in how I did that. The enemy doesn't want us to reconcile. The enemy wants us to think that we're right all the time and to leave these relationships that way. But when we come in, there is real power when you have two people that can say, I was wrong. And the other person says, yeah, you know what? I was wrong in this. That's when the love can flow. That's when the intimacy can flow. That's when the disconnection is eradicated. That's when two people can come together. There's not as much separation. Love, love, love. Avoid shoulds. Avoid shoulds. You know, you really should do a better job of of cleaning this. You know, you really should do a better job in in, in how you discipline the kids. Really? Does anybody feel good when somebody says that to you? You should? I just love when they tell me I should do this and I should do that. I'm so receptive to that. We get defensive. Anybody else, you get defensive when someone says that. No. Avoid shoulds in the relationship. I see some people laughing because you do it too. I'm not the only one in the room. We have to avoid these shoulds. They don't help in conversation. And then lastly, how about affirming and validating? How about affirming and validating? Music team, again, you can start. I'm done. This is, I'm done. But what about if we were people that said, you know what? I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Let's stop looking at confrontation as something where it's two people and one just dresses down the other person. No, 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 no confrontation is, I am for you, I am on your side, I am your biggest fan, and I want this to work out, and I have an issue because I want us to become closer. I want us to grow together more, to face each other, to face reality, to face the issues that we have so we can be more intimate in these relationships. That's the key. And you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? I just spoke about this, and I put this up, And the majority of the, um, listen, I have to call it like it is because I'm a preacher. The majority of our marriages in here, nobody will write down and no one will go access this PowerPoint and no one will look at the book and no one's going to really care when they walk out. I'm sorry. I have to call it like it is. I feel it in the room. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know what? Then don't come call me in two years when you have major problems in your marriage if you're not applying some of these principles and you're not coming to the classes. This is where the rubber meets the road. We have to be serious about taking this stuff and applying it to our lives. Do we just want to be hearers of the word? I'm not frustrated. Listen, I'm fine as I'm walking out of here. Listen, I'm fine. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the enemy wants us to take this and just throw it away. Throw it away. It's not relevant for my life. This couldn't be any more relevant. Can't be any more relevant. I'm sorry. I think... 
You can say whatever you want about this series. I am so, this series, I didn't think I would like this series as much as I liked it. I was deathly afraid of preaching it. I think this is one of the best series I've done. I've enjoyed it more than so many other ones. Don't clap. I'm not saying that. But this part today, this part today is as important as any other part of this. Because conflict and confrontation in our relationships is huge. How about one of you? How about you make the first move? They say this in the book too. Don't wait for your spouse. How about you say, you know what? I'm going to take some. These aren't mine. That's why I can say this. I didn't take this from James Lecce's mind. I took at the end their principles. They're the experts. I'm not an expert. I'm taking their principles. What if we actually take them and really apply them to our lives? And what if you're a friend and you challenge somebody else and say, hey, how are you doing in your marriage? When's the last time you ask somebody how they're doing in their marriage? When's the last time you challenge somebody about how you doing emotionally in your marriage? Are you distant? With, what's going on? We don't do that. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about politics. We certainly don't talk about intimacy in our marriages and our relationships. I'm challenging you here today. As one of your pastors, I'm cha- it's a hard challenge at the end here. I really think, I really feel like God's saying, you need to hit that. I feel like God's saying in my spirit, you need to hammer away at this, that we need to take this serious. I don't care if you've been married for 40 years. I don't care if you've been married for 50 years. You have problems just like we do being married for 14 years and the couple that's been married for two years and the couple that's not even married. We all have issues. Lord, Father, Father, I ask that there would be a seriousness in which we take these your word, Lord, what your word says, I ask there be a seriousness with which we take these principles, these skills. Father, I ask that we would really apply them. We wouldn't just hear this, but we'd really apply them to our lives. Father, I want to be in a church that is emotionally healthy. Father, make us emotionally healthy. Father, maybe this, this be a place where marriages can thrive and marriages can flourish and there's hope and we don't have to be part of statistics that say our marriages won't make it. In Jesus' name, every marriage in this place is going to make it, Father. Lord, and there will be real intimacy that we really will get to know each other. We'll get to love each other and we'll take risks and we're going to overcome all of the fears and all of the anxiety and we're going to do the work and look at our insecurity. Father, do it as only you can do. Church, if you believe in that, I ask you to stand up as we sing this song. Stand up. Home improvements. And if that's, you, you know what? Let's just, let's do it. If you need prayer, this is the last week of the series. If you want prayer for your marriage, why wouldn't we ask you to? Why don't you come up? You want prayer for your marriage? You come up here. Scary if you don't need prayer for your marriage. Maybe you should be up here. You can come up here and talk. But if that's you and you say, you know what? Yeah, we have things we need to work on in our relationship. And I care so much about this relationship. And I care so much about my other relationships. I'm going to do it. Lord, help us. Lord, can't do it on my own. But I want to apply these skills. I care so much. I care so much. There's so much I want to work on. If that's you, don't be afraid. Who cares to your, who's to your right? Who cares who's to your left? This is a time. This is a moment. A Kairos moment where God says, I'll meet you right here today. I'll meet you like a burning bush last week. God says, yeah, look at that strange sight. You didn't think coming in here today that would happen. I didn't think it would happen, but now is the time. Now is the moment. You can start singing, Steve. You can start singing. Yes, Lord, make us desperate, Lord. Make a stand. Make a stand today.
Make a stand today in front of heaven and hell that you two are united in your relationship with each other. That you're going to grow. There's going to be self-discovery. and You're not going to beat each other up, but we're going to confront each other in love and we're going to face each other. That's what this is all about. You never marry the right person. You always marry the wrong person. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.